13. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling, to the twelve, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many spirits, many demons, and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Well, good afternoon. And um, my name is John T. And it's great to see you. Welcome back. If you've got back to London, uh, we've missed you. It's great to have you back. It's nice to have see lots of people here. And um, if you're new this afternoon, like Phil said, great to have you here. We, we passionately believe that God's word is precious and wonderful and exciting. And uh, we're going to ask now that he would speak to us as we dive into it together. So let's pray. And then we're going to dive in. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that we can sing, that you're our father. We can pray you're our father and now we can listen to your word. And we pray, speak to us, we ask, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay, here's here's my question for you this afternoon. If life is a swimming pool, right? If life is a swimming pool, which end do you prefer? Do you prefer the shallow end or do you prefer the deep end? Imagine we have a swimming pool. Here's the shallow end. And here's the, it's proper deep. And actually quite dangerously deep. I wonder what sort of personality you are. Do you prefer the shallow end or the deep end? Okay, well let me, uh, let me, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, okay, let me, let me push it slightly further. Think about who you might find in the shallow end of life and who you might find in the deep end of life. See, in the shallow end, it's nice in the shallow end, isn't it? It's quite warm. You don't ask why it's warm. You just, it's just warm. It's where the little children are, and it's shallow, and it doesn't take much effort, and you can kind of blob and get a float and put it behind your head, and you can lie back, and it's nice. doesn't take too much effort. And you can look at the deep end and think, hmm, glad I'm not there. And I want to call the people in the shallow end the cautious non-swimmers. That's who lives in the shallow end of life. In the deep end of life, they're the sort of people who go, that's boring. They're the sort of people who love bungee jumping. They love jumping out of buildings and aeroplanes and anything that's dangerous. And I want to call them the sort of people who, who just immediately there's danger. They run towards it. They love it. And perhaps we might call them the reckless boasters. That's a little bit harsh maybe, but work with it. The cautious non-swimmers and the reckless boasters. I wonder where you'd see yourself. Now in some ways, I I, I don't really care where you are on on the swimming pool of life. But I do ask, I do care where you are if you imagine the swimming pool of the Christian life. What it means to follow Jesus. You see, Imagine following Jesus is like a swimming pool. I wonder if you prefer the shallow end or the deep end. 
Do you prefer it where it's easy and everything's comfortable and it's pretty nice and there aren't too many dangers? Or do you prefer it where it's just exciting and right on the edge? Now, I want... Before you answer where you are, I wonder where you think God wants you to be. Where do you think God most wants you? If you're a Christian here this afternoon, where does God most want you to live your life? In the shallow end or in the deep end? As a cautious non-swimmer or as a reckless boaster? Where do you think he wants... Rhetorical. Where do you think he wants you to be? Well, I want to try and show you that he wants you to be in the deep end, but not as a reckless boaster. There is a different way to live in the deep end. That's where we're going this afternoon. That's been my kind of, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, don't worry. It, it might become clearer. What we come to, hold that right. Okay, we're going to put the swimming pool thing over here on a shelf. We'll come back to it later. We'll get it in a minute. Right? Leave the swimming pool. Let's get into Mark's gospel, and then I'll show you why the swimming pool thing matters. When we get to uh, this sentence that we started with today in Mark's Gospel, halfway through verse 6, it is quite an important verse in Mark. So last term we spent quite a bit of time going through Mark up till this point, and we saw Jesus, and, and this verse kind of summarizes everything we saw last term. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. That's the first big chunk of Mark. Jesus the teacher. He goes around teaching. Just flip back and I'll, I'll show you. Have a look right back to uh, chapter 1. Just very quickly, have a look. Chapter 1, verse 14. Here is Jesus. When Jesus appears, if you want to know who Jesus is, this is who he is. He's the teacher who comes with a message to preach. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. Jesus came with a message. The kingdom has come. God's king has arrived. Turn your life around. Repent and follow me. That's Jesus. And that's what Jesus spent his time doing. Teaching. Look down to verse 21. Chapter 1 verse 21. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had authority. He then does a miracle. But look at 1 verse 27. The people were also amazed. They asked each other. What is this? A new Teaching. You see, it's the teaching of Jesus that really blows people's minds. More than the miracles, it's the teaching. What is this man saying? He has a message, he has something to say which is utterly new and unique. This kingdom of God has come. And I could take you through those first six chapters and show you again and again, when Jesus is confronted with the crowd, the first thing he does is teach them. He has a message. And his message is good news. It's the message that Jesus has come. So here's my question. When Jesus came into the swimming pool of life, where did he live? Did Jesus blob around in the shallow end of life where everything was nice and safe and comfortable? No. The Bible says that Jesus came and lived in a radically dangerous way. Very dangerous. Even to a point where he ended up dead on a cross, nailed to a cross because of what he was teaching. That is not the shallow end, right? Dead on a cross is not what happens to you when you're in the shallow end. Jesus lived his life. But he was not a reckless 
boaster, heading for danger, going, woohoo, bungee jump, cross, crucifixion, let's go. He wasn't a reckless boaster. Actually, and this is what I want to show you, this is how you live in the deep end. He was a dependent risk taker. He was a dependent risk taker. Stunningly, Jesus, all the way through his life, depended upon his father. Even the night before he died, right? The night before he died, he was praying. And in the garden, he said, Abba, Father. What we've been talking about all through this service so far. Father, take this cup this suffering that I'm about to face. Take it from me. I don't want, I'm not looking forward to dying on a cross. I'm not some kind of mad, ridiculous, reckless, crazy man. Take this, take this cup away from me and yet not what I will but what you will. And Jesus says, but Father, I depend on you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take this risk. I'm going to go to the cross because I trust you. Can you see that? He went to the cross, he went to the deepest depths of the swimming pool because he trusted his father and he knew that his death was the only way he could save people. Jesus, the dependent risk taker. He wasn't a cautious non-swimmer sitting around doing nothing. And he wasn't a reckless boaster going, woohoo, danger. He was a dependent risk taker. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus came with this wonderful message. If you follow him, if you trust him, then he will save you. If you he will turn your life around. You'll become part of his kingdom. You stop living for yourself as king. You start to live for him as king. That's why he came. It's why he died. It's why following Jesus is the most wonderful thing in the whole universe. So Jesus went around teaching from village to village. But now look, here comes the transition. All right, look at verse 7. This is the important bit, right? Oh, I mean, that was important too. This is another important bit. There's a switch that happens now. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. But what's his strategy? What's phase two of his mission? Phase one, preaching and teaching. Phase two, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jesus sends out twelve people to carry on his work. This is phase two now. Phase two, the focus shifts now to the disciples, these 12 people. And they are sent out to carry on the work. And here's the big thing, right? Jesus sends his disciples to the deep end of the swimming pool, not the shallow end. I, I, just, just stop for one second, right? Do you, don't you find it slightly extraordinary that God and Jesus, the perfect Son of God, would choose to send people to do anything? You discover it over and again, over again in the Bible. God constantly is sending people to do things. And he's always sending people to do things that they can't do. This has really kind of hit me this week. God constantly tells people to do things they can't do. So he sends Moses. And he says, Moses, I want you to go and lead the nation of Israel. Moses, can I speak? Can I lead? 
I'm a man of faltering lips. I can't, I can't leave these people. Do you see? And God doesn't say to him, oh, come on, Moses, you're not as bad as you think. He goes, well, actually, Moses, you're probably right. <laughs> you take your brother with you, but I'm going to be with you. He comes to a bloke called Gideon. Little, little Gideon, right? Smallest man, smallest little man, hiding in a wine press. He's terrified, very, very scared. God says to him, mighty warrior, I'm going to send you, Gideon, to defeat the mighty Midianite army who are coming against Israel. God deliberately sends people to do things they can't do. Again and again and again. He sends them to the deep end of the swimming pool. Right, keep your finger... I, there's, there's one uh, little section in the book of 2 Corinthians which really kind of nails this and makes it clear. Can you go to 2 Corinthians, chapter 1? It's on page 1,159. One thousand one hundred and fifty nine. And this is two Corinthians uh, chapter one verse eight. This is a man called Paul, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Right, here's the phrase. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. So here's this man, Paul, another man who's been sent. And what does he say he's sent to do? Is he sent to do what, to do what you can manage? He is put in a position where it's way beyond his ability. He's out of his depth. It's way beyond his ability. Why? Why does God do that? Why does God send people to do impossible things? Here it is. Look at it. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Here is the point. God sends weak, frail, inadequate human beings to do impossible things because he wants us to trust him. And he wants us to learn to rely on him. If I, take, if I take a child to the swimming pool and we go uh, into the shallow bit and it's a child who can't swim and we go into the shallow bit, the child will blob around and kind of go off and play and you know, kind of ignore me. If we jump in the deep end, the child will have to rely on me, have to cling to me. That is where God wants us to be. He wants us to be people who rely on him. And therefore he says, that's why I want you in the deep end. I want you to be people who are dependent risk takers. Not cautious non-swimmers and not reckless boasters who go, I can do anything. He wants weak, dependent risk takers. People who are willing to take a risk. Right, now come back to uh, Mark chapter 6. And let's see how that kind of works out in these verses. What's the key in verse 7? Look at verse 7 with me. He calls the 12 to him. I mean, honestly, right, the 12. I mean, they are just not up to the job. In fact, this is going to be the big crisis now in Mark. We're going to see this a lot, okay? 
Let me, spoiler alert, this is going to tell you what happens in this next chunk of Mark. Here's the big crisis. Mark says, Jesus sent out the 12, and we think, oh. And it's like one of those films um, where you, it all goes slow motion, and you get the heroes kind of all walking out. And you can imagine the 12 kind of going, oh, yes, we're off on our mission. <laughs> but then Mark kind of says, oh, by the way, and through this next section of Mark, what we're going to see is this massive crisis that these 12 have not got a clue what they're doing. They don't understand who Jesus is. Their heart is hard. Again and again they get it wrong. And there's a real crisis in Mark. Is everything going to go haywire? But no, Jesus has chosen these 12. I mean, one of them's Judas. One of them's going to betray him with a kiss. But Jesus has chosen these 12. And he begins to send them out. And look, there it is, right? He calls the twelve to him and he sends them out with his authority. It is going to be crystal clear that this is Jesus at work, not them. Go back to, go back to little Gideon, right? Little Gideon in his wine press. God says, you're going to go defeat the Midianites. He says, okay, if I'm going to defeat the Midianites, I've got a great idea. I'm going to get a big army. He gets as many people as he can. He can only get 32,000. He's up against like a quarter of a million Midianites. Best he can manage is 32,000 soldiers, right? But he thinks, okay, this is the best I can do. But at least I've got a bit of an army. God says, you've got too many. Get rid of some. And eventually God whittles it down to 300 men. He's totally mad. Gideon with his 300 men. Quarter of a million people over there. <laughs> We're going to have you. <laughs> And God says, when he had his army, he said, you have too many men, because if I deliver you now, you're going to boast that you did it. And I want you to depend on me. And here is Jesus sending out his disciples with his authority. Now, I, I, we are not part of the original twelve. And we have to be careful about how we apply these things. You can't just take the Bible and say, oh, it's all about me. It's not all about us. And yet there is something wonderful, isn't there, in who Jesus chooses to use? And in all the kind of frailty and weakness of who Jesus chooses to use. And perhaps some of you, you say to yourself, oh, Jesus would never be interested in me. I'm too weak. No, wrong. If you're weak, that's exactly where we need to be. But have a look what happens next. So Jesus sends them out. He ha- they, have, they go out two by two. There's a kind of a, a wisdom in that, a, an accountability, a, a going together. Ecclesiastes says that two are better than one. And off they go. <laughs> look at his instructions. These were his instructions. Right, imagine, okay. you you just got to imagine you're one of the twelve, right? You really don't have much of a clue what's going on. And Jesus says to you, Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Oh, great. (laughs) Just what I need. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. What is Jesus doing? He's deliberately putting them in a place where they will have to trust him. 
Jesus wants them to know that they are not sufficient in and of themselves. They need him. Now these, some of you, this may ring slight bells. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter at all. But for some of you, it may ring slight bells with somewhere else in the Bible where God's people have no bread and they're told to just take their shoes and their shirts and to get out of Egypt. And they end up in the desert. And in the desert, they've got no bread, they've got only one pair of sandals, and they spend 40 years in the desert. And Deuteronomy says their sandals never wore out, their shirts never wore out, and God provided food every single day. He wants us to trust him. Okay, how much, how much did God provide for them every day? Enough for... Yes, Reuben. Enough for them to stay alive for that day. Now, of course, this is what some of the people did. Oh, no, 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 that's dangerous. I need, I'm going to get more. And God was angry. He says, no, you trust me for today. Do you know, I find this slightly challenging. Are we not absolutely obsessed with only doing the things that we think we've got the resources to do? I can't do that because it's beyond me. It's beyond my ability. It's too risky. That's shallow in thinking. That's hanging around where the water's warm and it's all cosy and nice. Jesus doesn't want us there because we don't have to depend on him there. Did you see what the top story on the news was last night? As I drove home rather late last night, so it broke kind of about 10 o'clock last night. The top story on the news last night was that £66 million had been split between two people in the National Lottery. I got 30, so two people last night won £33 million each. Here's what I thought. I thought, as I drove along, oh, we could have done a lot with 33 million. And I think I really believe that God is sovereign. Therefore, I, I'm pretty sure that God knows what the lottery numbers are. And I'm pretty sure that God could make whatever lottery numbers he wanted come out. And why wouldn't he want me to have 33 million? I wouldn't keep any of it for myself. I'd give it all away. But I could, you know, and I think there's a part of me that genuinely wants, you know, I think this is sort of, yes, I genuinely would. Here is why God would never, ever do that. Because if he gave me 33 million, I would never have to trust him again. And I know it makes sense. I say, but we could buy a fantastic building. We could make it, you know, we could buy something awesome on the South Bank. It'd be fantastic. We could kid it out with all the right stuff. You know, we could employ a load of people and we'd never have to pray. You see the problem? And yet, this is how we feel. I don't want... I don't want to be in a church that's strapped for cash. I want to be in a church that's rich. Why? Because I don't want to take the risk. But a church that's got loads of money is a church that is in the shallow end. And if a church has got loads of money, they should have given it away. Because it's dangerous to have loads of money as a church. Because it, it keeps you shallow. 
is in the deep end where it's risky. Now, hear hear me very carefully. Because there are some people, and I've met them, right? There are some people who go, Oh, yes, risk, love it. I I met this guy once. He said, said, um, well, I just trust God. I don't work. I don't have a job. To to have a job is to, to not have faith. And he said, I just live on a houseboat. And then I, when I, I look after a houseboat, and then when someone else needs it, then I move and I look after another houseboat. And he was asking me for money. Now that, to, to, that is running over here going, that's the bungee jumping mentality that goes, oh, I don't care, I can do it, it's all fine, I can do it, I, I can... That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a dependent, humble risk-taking that says, Father, I'm going to take some risks. Now, I don't know whether you're more the cautious type or you're more the kind of crazy bungee-jumping type. But there's danger at both ends. And the truth isn't found in the middle. It is found at the deep end. But in humble dependence. I wondered, genuinely, when was the last risky thing you did because you followed Jesus? What was the last thing that really made you think, that's quite risky? I'm not sure. My guess is that most of us tend towards the caution. I certainly do. And yet Jesus sends these guys out. It's profoundly not safe as Jesus sends them out. But they're to go and, uh, and to trust them. Now again, let's, let's be careful with this. Okay, We've got to work these principles out. Jesus is not saying that we should have no bread. He's not saying you should, only buy, you should go to Tesco every day instead of getting a weekly shop. <laughs> it's not that stuff. It's about an attitude, a humble attitude that says, I'm going to try something. I'm going to take a risk. I don't know what that might look like for you. But I tell you this much. The reason most people find being a Christian boring is because we don't take any risks. And the reason most of us never really experience the presence of God and and, and the the urgency of prayer is because we never really feel our need of Him. Let me tell you, when you've taken a big risk and when you're standing and you've got nowhere else to turn, then you really pray. And so off off they go. Um, and, And then Jesus gives them these instructions. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is deep end stuff, right? Jesus is not saying, go to the shallow end and you'll find lots of nice little people who you can play with. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to deep, hostile, hard world where there'll be some who welcome you, some who say, yes, I want to hear this message and others who actually want nothing to do with you. You need to be willing. You need to be ready for opposition, struggling, to shake the dust off your feet. You see, it's, it's very surprising. The 12 that Jesus sends, it's very surprising. The instructions he gives them are very surprising. And here's the most surprising thing in this passage. The most surprising thing, I think, is verse 12. That they went. I mean, seriously, would, would you have gone? They went out. 
and they preached that people should repent. They told people, here was their message, right? Oh, this, okay, one last little rant, and then, not rant thing, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but this is a little bit of a, a thing. Um, when, when we talk to people about Jesus, we are so often trying to convince people. We try to be salesmen for the gospel. So it goes like this. Oh, listen, you should turn to Jesus because he's really lovely and he'll forgive your sin and he'll give you a better life and he'll give you a place in heaven and he'll fill your heart with joy and happiness. Now, are those things all true? Yes, all of them are true. Pretty much all of them are true. He will forgive your sin and he will give you a place in heaven and he will fill your heart with the joy that you've never experienced before. Yes, 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 but... Why should you really turn to him? Because he's king. And they don't go out and try and suggest to people. They go out and they preach that people should repent. You need to turn to Jesus. And the problem is, we, what we do is we go and invite people. Would you like to come? Would you like to come to Jesus? You could come to Jesus. And these guys went out and said, you must come. You must repent and you need to turn now. You're living your life away from him. So my job, this, okay, fine, my job now, right now, if you're not trusting Jesus, you need to listen to this right now. Here it is, right in black and white in front of me. If you're not trusting Jesus, you are living your life the wrong way. You are against the king. And Jesus has come and he's died on a cross so that you can turn and he commands, he commands you right now, turn around. Stop living against me. Live for me. Turn your whole life. That's what repent means. Turn your whole life to him. And these guys go and they drive out many demons. They demonstrate the kingdom in the same way that Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. Here they are showing, demonstrating through their deeds. Here they are living in the deep end. And Jesus uses them. Despite the fact they don't really understand who he is. They don't understand why he's come. They haven't really got a clue. Jesus uses them. So I want this afternoon as, as we draw to a close. Um, if you're following Jesus, can you hear the challenge to say, don't settle for cautious non-swimming. <laughs> Will you dependently, humbly take some risks? I wonder what it would mean. What would be a risk for you? I'm not saying, okay, this is not saying that we all need to go and do something massive because that's not what Jesus is talking about. It might be something like you're going to put a Bible verse somewhere near your computer on your desk that people are going to see and people are going to say, what on earth is that? That's risky. You're suddenly in the deep end, right? What is it going to be? What is it that's going to say, I'm going to take some risks? Perhaps it is a friend. You think, oh, I've really been meaning to invite him to church. Actually, there's, it's a risk. It's an, but it's not a kind of crazy risk. I can do this on my own. It's saying, I can't do that. That's impossible. Absolutely. 
That's why we're dependent risk takers, not arrogant boasters. And as we trust him, as we depend on him, we discover that yes, we're out of our debt, but we have a father who's got hold of us. And that's where you discover the excitement and the joy of following Jesus. So we're going to learn a lot as we go through this section and as we watch these 12 kind of try and get their heads around what's happening with Jesus. Um, But this afternoon we need to hear this challenge. Will we be those humble, dependent risk takers? Let's pray together and then we're going to um, sing and respond together. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for this gospel. We praise you for Jesus. Jesus who came, left the safety of heaven for the danger of a cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to take that risk. That you were willing to trust your Father, even to the point of death. Thank you that through that death you've saved us. You've given us life, this joy. And we ask that we might be dependent risk takers. That even this week we might venture out of the shallow end and know what it is to trust you. Father, show us what that means. Help us to take risks with how we use our money. Help us to take risks with how we use our time. Help us to take risks with our friendships. And just give us that wisdom, we pray. And Father, we ask that we might be your ambassadors, that you might send us and that through us, others might repent and and become part of this wonderful kingdom. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' powerful and wonderful name. Amen.